0: Like Adria mentioned, we're starting a, our new sermon series this morning. It's only four weeks long. There are twelve minor prophets in the Bible, so you're welcome for not doing all twelve in a row. Would you? I, well, maybe I don't know. Maybe there would be excitement for that. Yes, let's let's go through and do all twelve of those in one sermon series for twelve weeks. Yay! <laughs> American Attention Span, we would love that. So actually last year we did the first four of those 12 minor prophets. And so if you missed that or if you're curious about what those have to say and what the content is, then you can check that out. Go to VlossiChurch.info and we've got our podcasts up there with those sermons. On there, So you can check out what Hosea, Joel, Amos, and Obadiah have to say and what they're, what they're all about. So we're going to be talking about the next four in this sermon series. And like Adrian mentioned, we're going to be kicking it off with the book of Jonah. Now, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, it's made of 39 books. Twelve of those are the minor prophets. I want to let you know that they're called the minor prophets not because of their content. All right? Some of you know this already, but sometimes they get a bad rap, I think. They think, oh, they're minor prophets. Oh, they're less important than the big prophets, you know. Uh, that because Ezekiel and Isaiah, I mean, they're like sixty chapters, and you know the minor prophets only have a few, most of them, and so they're not as important. But their content and their teaching is just as timeless as any any else, any any other writing in in the Old Testament, and and they all deal with very similar themes, talking about the social, economic, political um, powers that be, what's going on. A lot of times, the judgment that God has against those those things because of how much they've been abused by his people or by the countries that surround them, the nations that surround them and the kingdoms, and how poorly they are living out their lives in those uh, different areas. But they also contain words of hope as well, uh, you'll read about things like the day of the Lord and this coming, you know, could be this sense of impending doom if we aren't following God and what he has to say. But it's actually a message of hope as well to let us know, hey, at some point God is coming and he's going to make all things new and he's going to make all things right. And we can look forward to that day of the Lord. So which this is why the content of the Old Testament matters so much still. They are God's words to his people, and while they're sometimes in reference to specific times and places and events, they are also in reference to who he is, who we are, and how we are meant to live together in this world. So like I said, we're kicking things off with the book of Jonah, and if you grew up in church, chances are that somewhere along the way you came across the story of Jonah, and you know that there's a whale involved, and maybe you saw a flannel graph, I don't know, it. Are we? Maybe I've dated myself there. You know, you grow up. Some of you are like, I know what a flannel graph is. Uh, for those of you that don't know, you've just missed out on this amazing, you know, part. It's almost. Uh, I don't know if it's as good as puppets in church, you know, or or not. But we're we're pretty far removed from that. Thank thank goodness. Um, so, maybe from that lesson, you learned that you know, you're not supposed to run away from God. I, I don't know, maybe that's the thing that I remember the most from as a kid in Sunday school learning about, about Jonah. That's fine, that's, that's a perfectly good lesson to learn, but that's not actually what the book is about. And so I want to encourage you as we go through this, this sermon series and as we talk about this, this particular sermon to actually read through these minor prophets along with us. The book of Jonah is only four chapters long, and you can knock that out. In my Bible, it's only two pages. So if you look at it in my physical Bible, it's only two pages long. And So you can knock that out in your Bible reading this week, maybe take a chapter a day and read through that and just kind of get the message that God is uh, getting across through Jonah's life uh, this week. We're going to hit some highlights across the whole book, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to it. Jonah is very unique among all the prophets, and not just because there's a VeggieTales movie about it. Uh, that was made 20 years ago by the way is that yeah does that help this morning thinking about that well all the other prophets in the old testament are writings that are about primarily the message that god has to his people and so it's the content of the message Where basically you're getting to read sermons you know that are that are preached uh, by by these men that were called by god to give these messages to to his people jonah is very different because jonah is a story about the prophet And so it is a narrative about Jonah's life. So it's a completely different perspective, uh, and it gives a clear message about how we ought to treat our enemies. And spoiler alert, we're left at the end of the story wondering if Jonah ever even got the message that he was called to preach. For prophets, uh, preaching God's message would often put them at odds with the culture, the politics, the social structures of the world around them. And for people who know God's will and try to communicate it to others for them to know and do, when that message doesn't get across, it can be frustrating. And there's need to, be, uh, to guard ourselves against becoming cynical and jaded within the world that we live in. There's this weird transition that we go through sometimes as people who know that at one point we are people in need of a Savior. We're all sinners who need Jesus. That sometimes we go through this transition that once we are saved, we are in this state of salvation, we uh, sometimes gain this feeling of superiority over other people. Maybe we feel morally superior, spiritually superior, to the point that rather than celebrating the special relationship that we have with our creator through Jesus, we can turn into people that feel as though we need to decide who is worth God's time. It's a natural human thing to demonize and make enemies out of people in our own hearts and our own minds. And part of being a disciple of Jesus is to know how our hearts and minds should be transformed in our attitudes and thinking toward our enemies. And the book of Jonah is all about that. Now, it's not as though as Christians that we are not going to have our enemies. Otherwise, we wouldn't be, need to be told as followers of Jesus to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. I mean, that's just going to be a part of The human experience, it's going to happen. What it does mean is that while we have enemies, we have no need to create or sustain them. Maybe that doesn't seem that profound, but if you think about the culture we live in and how people generally act around other people and what we're told we ought to think and believe about people who don't agree with us or don't live the same life that we do, uh, maybe it will sound a little bit more important. For our part, then, we question, are we the ones creating and or sustaining enemies out of other people? And there's a laundry list of options that are out there in our world today, and how we can separate ourselves from other people and the opinions that we have and the way that people act or think or vote or any of those number of things we could say. Oh, here are all the things that separate us. And yet, there's a different message that Scripture gives to Christians. So, there's a lot to unpack here, so let's jump into the text in Jonah chapter 1 and see how Jonah becomes the example of absurdity and what not to be. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And so, as all prophets, you know, want to do, Jonah went to Nineveh and, oh wait, it doesn't say that. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I just want to show you a map. This is a current day map, uh, Google Maps. You can look it up. Uh, where the, the pin is, where the pin is dropped, that's where Nineveh was and is, the capital of Assyria. Uh, the red box there is where Israel is, and Jerusalem is here, and Joppa is up to the northwest. And I know that scripture says that Jonah went down to Joppa, and you're like, well, he went up, he went north. But they always spoke, when you leave from Jerusalem, you always talk about it in terms of going down, because Jerusalem is up on a hill. All right? so, so Jonah goes down or up to, to Joppa, and he gets a ticket to get on a, a boat to go that direction. All right? So we don't ancient world, we've lost the knowledge of where Tarshish exactly was, but we know it was this direction. And sometimes it was just a reference to getting as far away as you could, that was the last known place in the, in the world, you know, for um, the modern, or the, at the time, you know, the modern world, there, there was no, there was nowhere, the ancient world, there was nowhere else to go but Tarshish, that was kind of it in the, in the ancient known world. And so that's where Jonah, Jonah goes, that's where he heads out. And while we know that he's running away from God, we don't really find out why until we get to chapter 4. But just to let you know, a great subtitle for the book of Jonah would be "When Prophets Go Bad." God says, "Hey Jonah, go this way," and Jonah says, "No, I'm going to go as far away as I possibly can in the complete opposite direction." And so Jonah does this really bizarre thing. He tries to run away from God, and of course, God isn't having any of that. And you should think—you know—we think as a prophet, you might should know that you can't run away from God. Like that's not going to—that's not going to work. And God probably, you know, says, well, go ahead, go through your temper tantrum. You're just wasting your own time. Because what happens is, as they're on the ship, this massive storm comes up, and it's, you know, the the crew are all thinking, it's a pagan crew, and they're looking at this, and they're thinking, hey, this is the gods. I mean, the gods are angry. Somebody's made the gods angry. We need to figure this out. They cast lots. They basically roll dice. They try to figure out, you know, whose whose fault is this, so we can do something about it and make the gods uh, pleased. And so, Jonah, who lets it get this far in the story, the lot falls on him, and finally he just kind of sheepishly does the, yeah, you, you, you got me. And so Jonah, when he answers the questions from, from these pagan sailors, hey, what in the world is going on? He answers like this in verse 9. I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And they asked him, why did you think you could run away from him on the sea then? No, they, they didn't say that, but probably thought this. They terrified them, that's, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked them, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, it might seem like Jonah has a little bit of remorse here, maybe that he's kind of sorry for what he's, uh, what he's done, um, but I would submit to you that he's not at all sorry for what he's done. Even though Jonah says, throw me over, these pagan sailors, they don't want to, say, you keep reading, they don't want to sacrifice him. They're the only ones who don't, don't want to do this. They're like, no, this isn't right. We shouldn't, we shouldn't kill you over this. And, and we'll let, There's got to be something else that we can do. And Jonah convinces them, no, this is what we should do. You know the one thing that Jonah doesn't suggest? Turn the ship around. Because you know the one thing Jonah doesn't want to do? What God has told him to do. And so instead, he says, I know how how to take care of what God wants me to do. You throw me overboard, God won't be able to do anything with that. That will get me out of what God has called me to do. But God's got too well-developed sense of humor for Jonah's antics. And so in verse 17 in chapter 1, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah thought he was going to get out of everything. It's like, you tossed me overboard. You tossed me overboard in the middle of a huge storm in the middle of the sea. There's only one thing that's going to happen as a result of that. And God says, no, nah, there's a big fish in the area. I'll take care of you. Now, we could talk about the big fish thing, you know, because, well, is that possible? Wh- you know, was it a whale? Was it a fish? And the Scripture just says large fish, large creature. Okay, so we don't know exactly what it was. You know, is it possible? I'm not going to beat that dead horse, because you can, you can look to that. There have been people who have ended up in the mouth of whales in the past. Last year, that happened to a lobster diver. Uh, uh, lobster diver? Did I say that right? Man, sometimes you just, in your head, uh, you sound like you th- say things improperly. Uh, that was off a of Cape Cod, I think, or some, something like that. He ended up in a, in a whale's mouth, and that was kind of crazy. And so whether or not it's possible, did this happen, um, you know, you can look all into that. I've got a bunch of footnotes in my sermon. We can talk about that later, but we're not going to spend time on that this morning. Suffice it to say, for me, that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 that it, does ha- it d- did happen and that he believes that it, that it did. And so that, that, works, that works for me. I believe Jesus resurrected from the dead, so I'm going to believe anything he says. All right? And there's something else that's much bigger at work here than Jonah being swallowed by a fish. While Jonah is in the digestive system of this large underwater creature, Jonah spends some time in prayer, and you can read that whole prayer in Jonah chapter 2, but I just want to highlight a couple verses for us this morning. In Jonah 2, verses 7 through 9, Jonah says, "...when my life was ebbing away... I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And you listen to this and you read through Jonah's words, it sounds like, okay, maybe his perspective is changing just a little bit. But don't forget we're getting to chapter 4, and we're going to find out that it really hasn't at all. And you read through Jonah's prayer pretty carefully, and Jonah, you can tell Jonah's a, a smart guy at not being very honest with himself or with God. And while this is a prayer of praise, of praise and he gives God glory and honor, it's not a prayer of repentance at all. And so his perspective really hasn't shifted. And so he's giving lip service to God about who he is and the benefits that Jonah gets to enjoy as a, as a child of God. You know, he's, he's a Jew. He's part of the nation of Israel. And so he's giving him honor for what he gets to enjoy from him. But he doesn't really repent of the problems that Jonah uh, has created. It's not even an apology. He doesn't even say, I'm sorry for doing what I did. And so, like I said, God has a very well-developed sense of humor. And so, in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, God commands the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Um, there's, there's, another, there's another text in Scripture that this reminds me of. It comes from Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, and God is talking to the church at Laodicea. And he says, I know your deeds. I know that you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. That's the lukewarm passage. And he says, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so disgusted, I'm just going to spit you out of my mouth. And I think about that imagery and I think about Jonah's character and what he's gone through at this point and his heart and his mind and where it is. And I see, I see a, a pre- pretty strong parallel. There could have been another purpose other than God just being funny um, and and for us to be able to enjoy some humor and satire in the story of Jonah. Uh, Perhaps there were some witnesses on the beach for the fish trade to Nineveh, which gave some credibility to Jonah as this foreigner who comes and has this message message from God because one of the gods the Assyrians worshipped was Dagon, who was the fish god. Which is why, if you watch the VeggieTales movie and you see that the Ninevites slap each other with fishes, That's why that's there. So that's the historical connection uh, that's in there. So after three days in the fish, Jonah spends three days in the city. In Jonah chapter 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by doing a day's journey, going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Man, that's a grace and mercy-filled, love-filled, compassionate message, isn't it? The Ninevites... Much to Jonah's dismay, believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now that would have been a great ending to Jonah, if it had just stopped there, it would, we would have been, oh, that's cool. You know, this message that Jonah had from God, even though it seems like maybe, maybe he wasn't, you know, all that enthusiastic about it, that message got through, this whole entire city of people repented, they turned back to God. You know, how great is it to see this, this story of God's love and compassion, mercy, how if we don't run away from God, but we go to what he calls us for, you know, the results of that, and how good, how good that can be. If only Jonah had stopped But again, this is not the message that Jonah preached, this is the story about his life. Jonah continues with one more chapter, and like I said, we would think better about Jonah if it had ended there, but now we get to the crux of the matter, and what had caused Jonah to run away from God and want death over following through with preaching a message of repentance to the Ninevites. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, but Jonah... As a result of seeing the repentance of the city, God relenting from his judgment on them, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, "'Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? "'This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Charshish. "'I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, "'a God who relents from sending calamity. "'Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live.'" But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Well, now that it comes down to it, God, now that I see the result of your grace, compassion, mercy, you know, your slowness to anger, your abounding love, I hate it. That was Jonah's response. I tried to sabotage your message as your messenger because I knew you'd let these horrible people repent without destroying them. And it, kind, it sounds absurd when we say it like that. Surely none of us would fall into the same issue in our lives, right? Surely we would never self-sabotage opportunities to love our enemies because we know God is merciful, right? We would, never, we would never do that. The Assyrians were brutal. They did things to men, women, and children that were atrocious. I mean, their, their, their brutalness is well-documented in, in history. Even though they were horrible, though, this city was still full of people who were created in God's image. And no matter what prejudices Jonah felt toward these people, None of those prejudices were worthy of superseding God's compassion for human beings who have been created in his image. What we are being confronted with in this narrative of Jonah's missteps with Nineveh is that God loves his enemies. The question for us is, will we? Why would God forgive you or me, our sins, for example, and our sins? We were his, his enemies, And yet God loves his enemies because his love is what fulfills our potential to become children of his. If God didn't love any of his enemies, then none of us would have an opportunity to be loved. And so when we're told by Jesus to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, this is a a very real practical love that we are supposed to put into practice with other people. And Jonah is the warning of what it looks like when we don't do this in our lives. Our enemies carry with them the same potential to be loved and to become children of God. And who are we that we would withhold that blessing from other people? And so who we are as children of God is a blessing that we've been given to bless other people with. And so the way that we think about our enemies, the way that we inter- interact with them, the way that we treat them, the way that we leave, you know, social media, co- you know, comments, about them, the way that we share articles, the way that we give our opinions, the shirts that we wear, the, the way that we tell people how they should live, or vote, or you know, what should they should do in their personal lives. All of those things come to how we think about, how we treat, how we interact with, with our enemies. Repentance is the one thing that Jonah refused to participate in in this area, in this book. And that was the key to compassion to see the potential God has for us and even, even our enemies. And when we don't love our enemies, we attempt to sabotage God's grace and compassion, slowness to anger, abundance in love and his mercy. And we might not think about that and wait. No, I'm not intentionally trying to sabotage God's. But, but Jonah in the this, in this, in this story, he's, he's very obvious about it. No, this is why I ran away. Because I didn't want you to show them mercy. I didn't want this to happen in their lives. And the book of Jonah ends abruptly and strangely. Jonah goes to sit outside in the east of the city and he's sitting there to wait on God's judgment because he's like, I'm just going to sit here I'm angry, and I'm going to be angry I'm going to wait for God to follow through and destroy, destroy these people because this, this is what should happen. These people are enemies of God. And God, Jonah has built a, a little shelter there and he's sitting there and God ends up causing a vine to grow and create shade you know, for, for Jonah. And then later that day, God also sends a worm and it comes and it eats up the roots of, of the vine and, and it dies and Jonah Jonah complains. probably saw that coming. And so later on, after God had asked Jonah, hey, is it right for you to be angry about me showing mercy to this people? In Jonah chapter 4 verse 9, God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Can you just picture the eh, you know, laying on the floor, like kicking and pounding and screaming, you know, this is is Jonah, you know, the the picture of Jonah in this moment. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead, because this plant died. And the Lord says, "'You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals?' and what we come to discover is that Jonah really did care more about that plant than he did about human beings created in his image. And the story, the message is don't don't be like Jonah. <laughs> don't don't be like, like like this guy. You know, are are there, are there moments in our lives where we care more about plants than we do about people? Maybe we care more about uh, certain political policies or certain social, you know, um, activities or certain economical circumstances for ourselves, you know, over how those things are impacting another, another person or how God views them. Or we look at that and say, well, if you're on this side, then you can't possibly be worth my time or my effort. You know, you are an enemy of me. And, and where we draw lines in the sand that God has never drawn, I mean, that, that's where we're getting to the, to the, the crux of the matter. You know, where God says, hey, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Hey, share the gospel. You've been blessed to be a blessing to other people. Like, this is, this is the real practical implication for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You're meant to impact other people's lives to show them the same grace, mercy, compassion, abounding love, slowness to anger, and mercy that God shows, shows us. Jonah knew God, but it was the pagans around him that responded better to God's words and actions than he did. If you look through the story, the pagans on the boat, the pagans in the city, I mean, they were the ones who repented. They were the ones who turned turned to God, and Jonah was the one who didn't, even though he was the prophet. And so we think about, who are the people that we can't stand to be around? Whether that means proximity or at a distance, you know, that we think about them at at a distance, these other, you know, crazy people, this group of people over here that we disagree with. Maybe sometimes that you even wish bad things on. Not that we would ever do that. Maybe the people that we're passive-aggressive with in our life, or maybe that we're openly antagonistic with, aren't you glad that God loves his enemies? You know, that's that's the question we're confronted with with the story of Jonah. You know, at one point, we were God's enemies. And yet God reached out to us through Jesus. And he saw our ability, our, our potential, through the work of his Holy Spirit, to become his children. And so despite our sin... As disciples of Jesus, as, as followers of Christ, we're in a completely different state of being with God in our life. And we're meant to share that with other people. Galatians 3 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have closed yourselves with Christ. And we were all enemies before that happened. So we're called to share the same, the same grace and same mercy with other, other people. Jonah is a cautionary tale for children of God. Us. And how we think about and treat our enemies. And that we, if we do not love them, and if we sabotage God's, loves, God's love for them through us, we not only treat our enemies as enemies, we treat God as our enemy. Because that means we're against what he's trying to accomplish and achieve in our lives. And we shouldn't forget where we've come from. And there are plenty of modern-day Jonas in this world. I would love nothing more. I talked with a friend of mine this week, and I said I would love I would love to give some specific names this morning, but that would be really counterproductive, I think. Um, and just share share with you, you know, hey, the, you need to be thinking about about the messages that you take in on YouTube, on you know, what, whatever um, wh- whatever you know place that you get your news, you get your theology from, you get your doctrine doctrine from. from. You need to be really cautious with the Jonas in the world who are saying, God is great, I'm a, I'm a follower of him, but here are the people that you need to be enemies of. Here, here are the people that you, you, need to, um, you need to fight against for political, for social, for economic reasons in, in your life. For nationalism, for political party, you know, those, those, are, those are some messages that are coming from some modern-day Jonas. They're creating and sustaining enemies in our lives that, that God has not called us to create or sustain. Don't listen to them. The more they draw you into being enemies with other people, eventually they make God's words sound like the enemy to us. As we're called to live those out according to his purposes for our lives. We all have enemies, but we all have a choice in how we treat them. Don't be a Jonah. Don't listen to modern prophets like Jonah. So here's what I want to encourage you to do this week, something very practical, very real. Maybe you've thought about a group of people or a person or could if you just stopped and thought, like, "Who, who are my enemies? Who are the people that get my ire up? Who are the people that I have less respect for? Who are the people that I wish ill of? You know, Oh, I would love for them to eat their words. You know, who, who is that person in your life? And I want you to pick that person, and, and I want you to, t- or to take that group of people. I want you to write that out somewhere. Put a note on your phone. Write it on a piece of paper. And I want you to spend three days praying for that person. Three days praying for those people. And my prayer for you and my prayer for me, uh, because I'm not saying I don't have this problem, too. But this cautionary tale from Jenna, our, our, my prayer for us is that our hearts and our minds be drawn to repentance and how we're thinking about and treating those other people. And, and not that we're always going to agree with other, right, there's always caveats that come along with this. Not that we're always going to agree with those people and not that we're always going to come to the same conclusions of those people, but how we treat them and what we want for them in their lives. Maybe that will be, begin to change to align with who God is and who God, what God wants for us and for them. And let me pray for us this morning. God, this is, um, this is a, a tough, tough thing to put into practice because it just comes so naturally in a way that we might not even see it happening in our lives. Where, you know, that person or, or those, those people that annoy us, who have a different opinion from us, who, uh, who are focused on, on different things, uh, maybe, maybe they just kind of pull us in this wrong direction. There's all those negative thoughts and feelings that, that, that come up that are very natural. Sometimes it's people that are just openly antagonistic to you. And so we're, we're there, and, and we want to uh, be faithful to you. Um, God, help us to see that it's, it's not so much that you need us to protect you, but that you desire for us to share you with others. God, help us to, to see the difference. Help us to live that out in and among our enemies. We're going to live in a world that is broken by sin, that calls us to live in a way that's openly antagonistic to you. And God, the best, the best way that we can love our enemies is to be faithful and obedient in our lives and the way that you called us to live them and to invite other people into that as graciously and as mercifully and compassionately as as you do the same for us. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to do this work in us. On our own strength, it would, be, it would be nearly impossible. God, we ask you to transform our hearts and our minds when it comes to how we love and pray for and treat our enemies. In all this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.